give all the glory to God. Amen. He is worth all of our praise every day. Amen. I want to welcome you into 2023. This is our first service in the auditorium. If you weren't here last week, we had a brunch and it was awesome. It was fun to be with you. It was fun to sing, to hear a message. We're beginning this year with a new series on one of our core values, which is authenticity and grace focused. And we wanted to ring in that new series with a song that we sang just a few times last year. And it's called I Speak Jesus. And this song focuses solely on the power in God's name, the power of Jesus's name, that it has to break every stronghold to shine through the shadows. So let's continue to sing that together this morning. Lord, please let that be our prayer this morning. That as we enter this new year, that we focus on you above everything else. That we value things like patience and grace, kindness and authenticity. Help us to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Help us to speak your name. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning, especially if you're newer around here. We're so glad you're here. If you are newer, there are a few ways that you can get to know us and we can get to know you. We have amazing people out on our welcome team who would love to meet you. Hi. <laughs> this is Dan, our lead pastor. I'm Lee, our communications director. Um, so yeah, out in the lobby, our welcome team, talk to them anytime. MyLCC.info is a great place to get connected. Um, I was thinking as we were singing that song that I have a hard time remembering that it's as simple as speaking the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful for our group, who I feel like everyone in, that, in our group does that very well. Thank you for that. Thank you for reminding me to give thanks to God, reminding me of God's promises. Um, I'm excited to talk more about all of these boards that we have up. You're going to share with us on that. Um, before we get into the message, I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new class starting on January 21st. It's about God and the Bible, led by none other than Tom Burns and Kit Burmeister. And we're going to go back to basics. We're going to ask questions like, who is God? What attributes does he have? Where did the Bible come from? Can we trust it? Um, completely original material. The class starts on the 21st, but there's reading homework ahead of time. So go ahead and sign up now on mylcc.info if you want to join. It'll be spread over six sessions every couple Saturdays here and there through January through March, I believe. Yes, nailed that one. And then coming up, we also have today, Intro to Groups. If you also want to be surrounded by awesome people living out life together and don't have a group yet, Monica, our Connections Director, will be right here in the youth area after service to help just talk about why we do groups, how you can get connected, things like that. And then finally, in February, we are having baptisms. 
And we, it's not until the end of February, but we are so excited about them that we wanna let you know now that they're coming up. So that registration link is live on mylcc.info as well. So I'm gonna stop there, turn the mic over to you. Thanks for sharing with us this morning. Yeah, you can keep going if you want. I mean, No, that's okay. That's good. All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm excited about today. It's great to be back together as a family as well. We had a great week last week um, eating food together and just Josh did a fantastic job leading us last week and speaking us into the new year. So um, I found myself sitting back and just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for this family that we have here that is um, a group of imperfect people, right? A group of people who don't have it together but are, are learning and living, sharing life together. So that's a blessing for sure. And today, we're going to start, as, as Lee mentioned, a brand new series on two. I will tell you, these are incredibly essential, important core values that we have. And I have been praying, I'm just going to pray now, because I really sense that uh, the gravity of these two core values, that if they are a part of a body, everything changes. So I'm going to pray as we start. God. Thank you so much for who you are and for the model you've given us of yourself. Humility. Patience. Grace that is just poured out on us. Grace evident in the cross. And now you've said, now go as a church and live that out. So, God, we ask that your spirit would be present today as we sang to release strongholds and to start new paths and to teach us how to have grace in our lives, to accept it from you and to point it towards each other, too. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, whenever people get together, right, um, a culture forms. It's just inevitable. And that culture ends up shaping everybody in the culture while the culture is even being shaped as it goes on. And right now, if we take a snapshot in time, whether we like it or not, our family has a culture. Now, the values that you see behind you here, these are our core values, and they set the tone, they set the direction for the culture that is and the culture that could be. They're everywhere, core values are. We bump into them all the time in our lives. Um, companies have them, the companies that we frequent with our money. So listen, I'm going to share some core values of companies. You see if you can figure out who these are, okay? You can just shout it out if you want. All right. This company's core value is quality first, customer loyalty, honesty, teamwork. Any ideas? The answer is, not that, it is Taco Bell, quality first. I'll let you decide if those describe the culture or not. How about this one? We're here to serve, we're better together, we're purpose-driven, we're pursuing what's next. Any ideas? Chick-fil-A, okay. Here's another one, a great attitude in action, communication, teamwork. These are starting to sound the same, aren't they? Respect, appreciation, determination. Any ideas? This might help 
make the most awesome donuts on the planet every single day? Krispy Kreme. <laughs> All right, one more. And this one's different, okay? A lot of those sound the same. Here's a different one. A warrior spirit, a servant's heart, team family, a fun-loving attitude. Any ideas? Okay, that is Southwest. <laughs> and here's a fact. Under that subpoint of a fun-loving attitude, it includes a subpoint of don't take it too seriously, which apparently is what they've been doing the last <laughs> month. So, all right. And then we have LCC. Seven core values we have together. As I mentioned, these, these values set the tone for the culture around here that is in a culture that could be. That's why we come back twice a year, two months basically we take of the year and we talk about the values, the biblical values that we have and we try to include them the rest of the time. Now these values you'll see behind me, these are distinct values but they are also, they're interconnected with each other. For instance, our value of being outreach oriented is interconnected with our value of being lay ministry mobilized. Our value of being lovingly relational is connected to being biblical, unapologetically biblical. Today, we're going to focus in on two of these values, authenticity and grace. And for the next couple of weeks, that's going to be our focus because we long to be a church that has a culture of personal authenticity. We long to be a church that has a culture of grace. These are interconnected, as we'll see as we go on here. They depend on each other to thrive. A healthy culture has these, a healthy church culture. So let's start by putting some definitions to what these are, okay? Let's talk about authenticity first. That's a word that's thrown around a lot, right? It gives this sense as you hear it of, of depth, right, of sincerity, of honesty, and worldly authenticity, which I'll just take straight from the dictionary, is being true to one's own personality, spirit, or character, okay? Being true to your own, all right? It's, it's essentially you do you to the fullest, right? That's worldly authenticity. No one can question it because it's you. You set the standard. It's defined by you. Biblical authenticity, on the other hand, is living true to what God says about you and in light of that, being honest with yourself and others about your current spiritual condition. The difference between worldly authenticity and biblical authenticity comes down to who sets the standard. Is it you or is it God? Now, let's define grace, too, and, and biblical grace, right? Grace is undeserved, unearned favor. With God, grace is something that, that costs him everything. It costs us as the receivers nothing. And honestly, grace can sometimes make people kind of angry. Why did that person get that unearned, undeserved kind of favor? It's a gift. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, those who who take God's gift of grace, right? He calls us to have that same grace with each other. The same grace that he showers on us, he, he calls us to have that with each other. So let's talk about authenticity and grace and how they are related. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 
18. Luke 18. I'll give you a second to get there. And we're going to hear... <clears throat> We're going to hear a parable of Jesus here. Luke 18, we're going to start in verse 9. And here's what we got. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So Jesus is, is targeting this parable towards a people or a, a person or a group of people, Right? And he, Luke tells us at the outset, this is for those who are self-righteous. Self-righteousness is trusting that your way of living, how you're doing things, is the way. It's the right way. And it's the right way. It's what God wants. It's, it's the way you're going to get accepted. And when you live in that belief that that's the case, you cannot help. It just inevitably ends up in you elevating yourself and others getting diminished. Okay, so verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Two men, dos hombres, right? They both went up to pray because the temple in Jerusalem is on a hill. You go up to it, you come back down afterwards to your house. And these two men could not have been farther apart socially and also in the eyes, at least in the eyes of the people, spiritually, Okay. The Pharisee, being a religious leader, was looked on by the people as someone who, who ought to have it together, who does have it together, they thought. Um, the tax collector, no. The tax collectors were despised by everybody because they cheated. They skimmed money off the top. They were outcasts because of it. So the Pharisee and the tax collector, they, both of them come to the temple to pray. Verse 11, the Pharisee, Standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. Dios, gracias. When you thank someone, right, when you thank someone, it's usually because you're responding to a gift that's been given. The gift here for the Pharisee is himself, right? He's praying to God kind of his own self-assessment. He's thanking God for the gift that he is. I'm not even sure it's, it's really a prayer. It's more like a commentary on how he sees himself as someone who lives the right way. He's doing the right things. He's better than others around him. Um, he doesn't really seem like he needs anything, and he's got evidence. I, f I fast. I tithe. I do the things. I do the things in the law. On a side note, the Pharisees, they, they fasted twice a week at that point. Um, it didn't used to be that much. It used to be, uh, used to be in the law a single day connected with the Day of Atonement. And over time, that exponentially increased Men added and added, and it got to the point where it was two, two times a week. And usually represented when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and then he came back down. So every Thursday and Monday. Now, in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee, he, he just lays out why he's superior, right? And what is his standard of measurement as he, as he looks? It's what other people are doing, right? He's playing 
the comparisons game. Comparisiones, right? He's comparing to others. He's proud of his standing. And we step back here, and it's very easy to point and say, look at that guy. I can't believe he's acting like that. But as you see that, look, let's look at ourselves, okay? How does a Pharisee show up in our lives? How does it show up? Have you said, have you thought, well, at least I'm not like that person. At least I don't live that way. Do you default kind of to measuring yourself against kind of what other people are doing? We're prone to do that, aren't we? Aren't we prone to do that like at the gym or at the, in education, how our kids are doing in our families, even in church, right? I'm glad, I'm glad I'm farther along than that person. It's just a part of our humanness that we tend to do. So that's the Pharisee. He's, he's literally looking out and saying, this is where I stand among everyone else. Now we get to, we get to the tax collector in verse 13. Let's read what he does. But the tax collector, standing far off, right, he would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. What do you see here? Shame, right? Shame. Vergüenza. Shame. Shame kept him at the outer courts of the temple. This is not a condemnation on those of you who sit in the back row, okay? But he couldn't come forward. He stood off in a distance. Shame kept his eyes down on his feet. Shame kept him from looking to the place God was, or he thought God was, to heaven. And shame led to this point. It just overtook him to the point, emotionally, that he, his body tenses up, and he beats his breast. Have you ever had emotion like that? Have you ever been through something where you just... That's how strong it feels. He beats his breast and says, Dios se propicio a mi pecador. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Shame. We carry shame, don't we? Even in these last couple of years, right? We carry things. We've picked up habits. We've We've approached people different ways. Some of us, it's hard to even come back into a place like this and be around people. And we, we carry that. And it's, and it's something that it, it's, just, it's very strong within us. We feel things. We've had, we've had relationships uh, that are broken during this time. So we can relate. And I just ask you, could, what do you, where do you see the tax collector in your own life? Where do you stand off? at a distance, what are you carrying that brings you to that point of feeling so strongly like just feeling unworthy and feeling shame about it? And so the tax collector asks for mercy, be merciful. Or as the Greek suggests, be satisfied. Be satisfied, accept me in my, in my junk, 
Now here's how Jesus assesses the situation, okay? This is what Jesus says. I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who comes humbly will be exalted. And I tell you what, we cannot even begin to understand how parables like this affected the people around him. It's no wonder the, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus, right? And the people, as, as Jesus talked about shame and as he talked about sin and how God viewed a person who's repentant. And Jesus says, I'm satisfied with this tax collector, not this Pharisee. See, he elevated the tax collector to this place of being justified, of being righteous in God's sight. Simply because what the tax collector did is he looked to God's righteousness as the standard, his truth rather than his own. And that's biblical authenticity, living true to what God says about you. And in light of that, being honest about it with yourself, with God, with others about your spiritual condition. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. But that's what we're called to. To be right in God's sight means we have to first admit that, that the way we're doing things, all right, our measurements, our standards are not the measurement. And so authenticity is this vehicle to encountering, to receiving God's grace. The tax collector, he was living true to what God says about him. So what does God say about us? He says a lot of things, right? But let's start with this. God's truth about us, I am deficient, right? Our world tells us, oh, you are enough. Positivity, you are enough, right? But what does God say? You're not. You're not enough. Proverbs 20 says, who can say, I have made my heart pure, that I'm clean from sin? It said elsewhere in Proverbs, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Soy perfecto. Yo también soy mentiroso. I'm perfect. I'm also a liar. All right, as we look at the Pharisee, do we encounter someone who readily admits he's in a position of deficiency? Is he? Maybe he's got, maybe he, maybe he's the first one. Maybe he's got it all together. Oh, he claims not to be extort, right? But what's going on? Is he, does he covet in his life? He claims not to be an adulterer, but what about the adultery that's in his heart? What about the way he looks on others? Oh, he's glad he's not like the tax collector, this unjust tax collector, but he lives in this state of pride, superiority. What about justice? I, I live just. What does he do with the poor? What does he do with the position that he holds, the power that he holds? See, we tend to, this is what we do as humans, right? We compartmentalize, right? And a lot of times we contradict ourselves over and over because that's how deep sin runs, right? So we can, we can, on the one hand, stand up and fight against human trafficking. On the other hand, we can go on our computers and look at pornography that actually includes people who are trafficked. 
that's, that's the confusion. That's the, how deep sin runs in us. And we can, we can look down on other people and while we're doing things that are the same kinds of things that are sin. But see, God knows our deficiency. He's, he's not moved by our position. He's not moved by our presentation. He doesn't look at the things like fasting and tithing and say, oh, Dan moved ahead of Jim this week because Dan tithed. Or Dan moved ahead of somebody else because they fasted. See, we tend to do that. We look and we see this big gap between us and the person, some other person. It's negligible to God. All have sinned, all fall short. Our measurements, our standings, they don't, they don't matter in God's eyes. So we're in a position here. We're deficient. We gotta recognize that. The second thing, we're in a position of need. And the tax collector, he comes, he comes humbly, doesn't he? He recognizes, oh my goodness, I'm in need. I, I can't do this to the point his whole body feels that. And this humility, it's necessary to authenticity. I think humility is, in a sense, authenticity. You know, right after this, it's interesting. Jesus is, um, right after this parable, it goes right into the story of, of uh, the children coming to Jesus. And the disciples are like, ah, keep the kids away. Parents can understand that, right? Ah, can I have a break from the kids? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come. Let the children come. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What is it about a child? A child, to Jesus illustrates, this humility, this, this dependency. They, they are dependent. They're unable to provide for themselves. They come to receive in a position to receive. What happens when we grow up and become adults? What changes, right? All of a sudden, I don't need anybody. I got this. And we present images, and we don't come to receive. So we got to know about us that we're, we're deficient. I'm a person in need. I'm a person who needs Christ's sacrifice. I need that. In, in Romans 3, Paul talks about that need that all have sinned. We've heard, many of us have heard this before. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely. In other words, we satisfied God's, God's uh, righteousness. We satisfy that. We're justified freely by the grace that came through the redemption of Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He was payment he was payment for our sin through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We receive by faith. He did this. Listen, this is so important. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, it's a big word, in his patience, he had left the sins committed before unpunished. I'm going to explain that in a second. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness in the past and now at the present time so as to be just God is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's talk about those saints that came before Jesus died on the cross, right? We always wonder, what happened to the people? What happened to the people, the, some of the Israelites who looked forward to the Messiah, who looked to Christ that was to come, right? 
those, those people that, that made sacrifices we read about in the Old Testament, that, that, uh, that made blood sacrifices, they took their uh, sacrifices to the, to the priests. God accepted those sacrifices as temporary payment, like a credit card, right? They were charged, but the bill had to be paid. And in Christ, the bill was paid. He paid it off entirely. Paid it off for the past, for those people before he came. He pays it off now for us. And this is important, this, this passage, because without Christ... Right? If you choose to live without Christ, here's what happens. You are measured by your own righteousness. Right? You're measured by your own righteousness. And you'll come up short every time. Because we cannot meet God's righteousness. That's why Christ had to came. In Jesus, we are not measured by our righteousness. We're measured by his righteousness. The perfect sacrifice, only his sacrifice could satisfy. So we are extremely dependent. You know, last week we saw a football game where a player went down, right? And twice he was brought back. Somebody literally breathed life back into him. He was dependent on that. We are dependent. We're dependent on Christ's sacrifice. I need Christ's sacrifice. Finally, for today, but not, this doesn't include everything. God has this to say. I am loved. I am loved in my mess. I am loved in my mess. Paul again in Romans says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Get a sense of who you are as we read and we hear the truth and how dependent we are. A tax collector and a Pharisee. each with different postures. Now, what do we learn from some of the things from this parable? First, in God's economy, authenticity, it's the currency. It is the currency. He does not deal in pretense or position or presentation. In fact, his, Jesus' words are strongest against those who try to project that kind of image, right? Another thing we learn is that living our own way, you doing you, worldly authenticity is is being dishonest with yourself about who you are, about how you measure up to others, about whether that's going to gain you some kind of a standing with God. And we also learn in this, in this parable that those who are self-righteous, they do not show grace. They don't show grace towards other people. So let's talk about where we began here a little bit with the culture. And I just ask you, what if the norm, what if the norm was that we came in as the tax collector with that kind of humility? What if we saw our deficiency, we saw our need, and we humbly received God's grace? What if that was a regular thing? What if it was a regular thing to admit that to each other? 
and to, to seek mercy and forgiveness and to, to help each other change direction. What if we did that around here? What if that was the norm? What would that do to a group of people? Because that's how, that's how the church was meant to live. And this parable, again, it speaks obviously to between God and us, but it speaks between us and each other. To be authentic means together we live what, is, what God says is true about us. We're honest with, with each other, and it extends even to right now, what I'm going through right today. I know there's people in this room who are, have dealt with loss recently. There's people that are having trouble getting, getting over an addiction right now. What if we had that environment here, that that was the norm? In our relationships, in our circles, in our, in our small groups, this parable also says some things like, listen, at any time, one of us can become that self-righteous person. We can take that posture. Oh, I got that figured out, let me tell you. We can look down on others. We can treat others with, with even contempt. We can, we can thank God we're not like that other person. And, and, and we can sit back and say, well, if that person, well, you can prescribe. We do that. It's very easy, right? If that person would just do this, then they'd get their life together. So easy. We can also experience hurt or someone who disagrees with us on, on a certain kind of position, right? And instead of, of, of moving graciously, we can take on the heart of the Pharisee, which is, I'm going to distance myself. That's what we're doing when we leave conflict unresolved in the body of Christ, right? We're saying, listen, I expect you to be perfect. I expect you to have it all together. Or we can come humbly in the reality of who we are and with grace. See, this is how, this is how grace and authenticity, I can't say it, work together, right? This is how they, they work. They, they, they feed each other. When, when grace is not present, authenticity exits. When authenticity is not present, grace dries up. And the culture, when that happens, a culture chains changes ever so slightly towards being a culture that, of presenting an image. Shame enters in, self-righteousness. We start to look to our works, how we compare to others, and that brings restlessness to us. How do I measure up? And if that continues, it becomes a fake kind of environment. But a culture of grace is this fertile soil for authenticity. And a culture of authenticity is a fertile soil for grace. This mix of authenticity and grace, when it's lived out, it is dynamic. It is life-changing. All of a sudden, you see a, a shift towards a Christ-centered place, a culture, a place that is real, a, a movement towards, towards something that attracts, that transforms. We become more of a family together, and, and there's peace we're not comparing ourselves to each other. There's rest in that. So Paul said, I'll summarize it here. He said, in your relationships with one another, he's from Philippians 2, have the mindset of Christ. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. And being found in obedience as a man, he humbled himself. We saw that a little bit earlier. He humbled himself. 
to death, even death on a cross. And what did God do with that humbling? He exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. You see, in this room, we've got alcoholics, we've got porn addicts, we've got those who are addicted, we've got those who have eating disorders, we've got those who, who struggle with sexuality, with self-image, we have those who want children, those who have lost children, those whose marriages are in real trouble, those who, who want to be married, those who don't want to be married, those who struggle with depression or anxiety, have serious health issues, those who've lost their jobs or are struggling with school, whatever. There's so much more, but we're real people, and we're going to have problems until the day Jesus comes back to take us home. What he's asking, though, is that can we stop pretending that we're something we're not? And can we open up our lives to each other? And then we just revel together in God's grace. Can you believe this? What he's done for us. And we dust each other off. And that's part of what we do in community, right? We help pick each other up. Uh, let me just say a few things. If you've been hurt by someone, an, another believer, or even someone in this body, I'm going to say this. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. When you throw a bunch of sinners together, guess what happens? You get hurt. But grace, see, God's grace and the grace we're called to have, grace sees past that and says, we're sinners. I'm going to give that person a chance. I'm going to move towards them. And I'm going to take the long game here that we are transformed over time. So what do you do? What do you do with, in your circle with the, with the self-righteous person, right? The person who's in your group who has that attitude and it drives you crazy. Right? What do you do with the person who comes and, and they're just struggling and you so badly want to tell them, just do this and it'll fix everything? Right? What do you do with that? Here's the thing. Standing in front of the cross, right? How can we withhold grace from anyone? How can we withhold grace standing in front of the cross? Now, in the flesh right? Grace can seem like, hey, you're, you're actually, that's not right. You're rewarding them for their behavior, right? That's in the flesh. But in front of the cross, right? Grace is, is like this gift to, to someone who's undeserving, right? That's coming from someone who's undeserving. That's what grace is, and that's how God has seen us. So if we want to have a culture around here like that, then this cross has got to come with us, right? So as we're going throughout our day and our week, as we're involved in relationships, we're, we're looking all the time, and we're remembering what was done for us, right? We're remembering how much we needed forgiven. 
and then we're looking at other people and saying, how can I, how can I help? How can I shower them with the grace that was given to me? So how are we to live? Authentically, we're to live grace-filled. We're to make ourselves nothing. Some of us have this strong leaning toward truth and justice. We just do. We can't help it. And I think some of us are wired that way a little bit more towards that. And we're sitting there saying, yeah, but they need to hear the truth. And yes, we can't downplay or disregard truth. But I just want to challenge you, if, you're, if you have that, <laughs> if you feel something rising in you as far as the need to speak truth, before you do, step back, pray, discern, ask yourself some questions. Do, first of all, do I remember what God has done for me and who I am? Second, is my conviction coming from a position of being something or of making myself nothing? And third, how can I listen first and be a conduit of God's grace to that person? Because Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is pretty clear. I just brought a couple examples, but listen to this. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked, it just comes out, right? This one haunts me here. Proverbs 12, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And for those of, of, of us that are dealing with anxiety right now, maybe you have somebody in your life who's struggling to, to be around people or they've just, it's, they're in a hard place, right? And you want to say, come on, get your act together. Can't you, just, can't you just fix this, right? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. In other words, encouragement. We're called to encourage others. Anybody here like the beach? Anybody beach people, right? Josh said it last week, right? We... We, we get ready, right, this time of year. We're working out, right? We're working out, trying to. And, and it, we, some people are thinking, oh, the beach is it's the summer. I got to get in shape, right? Because there's something raw about the beach. You, you strip down to your, to your swimsuit, and you're like, oh, ugh, I don't know about that. There's something raw about that, that mole or that blemish, that, that winter insulation, right, that you needed for the winter, so we start working out, right? We start going, we're going we're gonna to do this. Why? So that everything can be presentable because the beach is that place where we tend to say, how am I doing? How am I measuring out? Well, at least I'm not like, you know. That's the beach. This is the church. This is not the beach, okay? This is not the beach. This is the place where we come as we are. Now, we can say all we want. Hey, we're a place that says, come as you are. But the reality is, if our actions say, huh, you need some work before you can come here. If our posture, if our body language, if our staying away from people, if our silence is that way, that can speak louder than words. This beautiful church of Jesus is the place 
We bring our moles, we bring our blemishes, and yes, even our winter insulation, and much more. Now, we don't celebrate it. We don't flaunt the junk that we have, but we humbly come in the shadow of the cross. Jesus has done the work of making us right. So here's how you can, here's how you can promote this kind of a culture around here. First, be in community. You can't do authenticity and grace from a distance. You just can't. Second, put yourself out there. Take a risk in your circles and your groups. Be the one to be as the tax collector. Rip off the Band-Aid. <laughs> Don't wait till you have it all together. It's not the beach. And when someone does decide to live that way, don't leave them hanging. Don't fall asleep on those who put themselves out there. Don't be silent, but move towards them. Shower them with grace. Go give them a hug. I don't care if you get up. Just go give them a hug. Thank you. Isn't it amazing that we have been forgiven, that God's grace is real? In every conversation we have around here, we've got this opportunity to encourage this kind of environment, right, of authenticity and grace. Every conversation, even as we leave today, right, it's a chance to, to be transparent, it's a chance to be honest, and it's a chance to just shower grace towards each other. To be able to say, hey, we were just fighting on the way here, my spouse and I. We are just fighting. Or this is, this is where I'm at right now. It's hard to be here today. What if we had a culture like that where that was the norm? Because I want to say it one more time. We have got the greatest deal known. I love deals. Those of you who know me know I love deals. We've got the greatest one ever. We've got the amazing grace of God that, that has dealt with our sin, that, that invites us to come again and again to say, God, forgive me for that sin, and elevates us to this place, this place where we're children, where we're worthy, where we've give, been given an identity, where someone loves us because of the sacrifice. What would it be like to have a culture around here? Culture is not going to shift because of, of a message like this. It's not going to shift because of a program or a button or a wristband we put on. It's going to shift when we pray and when we move towards each other in him. So let's pray. Let's pray to our Father, to our grace giver. I'm going to give you a second and just ask you, even right now, to have a moment of just honesty with God your heart and mind with how this hits you today. God, you invite us to this incredible place of freedom in your son that our sins are not counted against us in him. And God, we, 
we confess that for some reason, we tend to put ourselves back in a prison where we look at our own lives and, and think highly of ourselves. God, thank you that even in that, your grace, your grace moves towards us. Today, God, we, I know that there are those who are hurting here today. I know that those are, there are those who've been carrying things, anxiety, depression. There are those who, who don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They're praying for another day, God, to, to get through. And God, you invite us to a different kind of life, a life that lives in church, in your church together with you as the head, a group of people that move towards each other, that love each other, that see each other for who we really are and decide I'm going to live there. I'm going to live in that place. I'm going to live in the shadow of the cross. Oh, God, we thank you for the cross. And we come to it today to find mercy, forgiveness, and healing. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for the chance to be here together, to fellowship together, and to worship you, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Buenos dias, LCC. Me llamo SJR. El es bueno estar juntos, which translated means... It's good to be together. That's right, and it is good to be together. And if I was to be personally authentic for a moment, I would tell you that one of the things that happens when I try to speak anything except English is that something else kicks in that isn't Spanish. And we'll all thank Madame Duncan from High School French 1, 2, and 3. But normally, I would get up here and I'd be like, Bonjour, LCC, je m'appelle JR. C'est très bon d'être ensemble. And the problem would be that I would be very convinced that was exactly right in whatever language I was attempting to speak. It's a problem. But, but here's the thing. It's good to be together. It really is. And it's good to be together in this space. And it's good to be together in groups. And if you aren't in a group, you've never been in a group, you haven't been in a group in a long time, I want to invite you in about five minutes to join Monica over in the youth area. Go out the door, turn left. And she's going to lead intro to groups. And I would encourage you to go check that out because we think it's important and we'd love to see you in group. Okay? Have a great day.